Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of this day, of this uh, life you have poured out upon us, Lord, and thank you for this place of refuge and security. Lord God, thank you that you are making this a dry and a warm place in the same way as you are providing a dry and a warm place for us spiritually in yourself, Lord. We pray that you would speak today your words of encouragement, your words of challenge. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to trust in you, to trust in your word and to trust in your presence, to trust in your deliverance. And Lord, I pray that you would give uh, me words to speak as well. May I be faithful in their proclamation. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. Morning. It is so great to see you all today. Well, this last week, um, I guess, yeah, just a little less than a week ago, Tara and I were sitting on the couch watching a movie. It was like 9 o'clock, 9.30 at night, and my cell phone rang. And it was from my oldest daughter, Lena, and I thought, my goodness, what is she doing awake? It's a school night. She's off at college, you know, and so, um, but I answered it, and it was not the call I was expecting. She was calling because uh, she's down at school in Santa Barbara, and the hills were on fire in Santa Barbara. And it was coming down the canyon towards Santa Barbara, and like the winds were driving it at like 50 miles an hour. And um, she said, but Dad, don't worry. They haven't told us to pack our bags yet. They just told the other dorms to pack their bags. (laughs) And I thought, huh. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, ultimately, it ended up working out okay for her. Um, the winds shifted and the, the blew it back up into the hills, um, made it very hard for other people, but my daughter and the school were preserved. But I found myself thinking in the days after that, I wonder what plan the school had. Because there's like 20-something thousand kids who go to school there, and a, only a small portion of them have cars. Right? And how do you move, say... of them can get in a car with somebody else. How do you move 10,000 people? Where do you move 10,000 people? Where do you go? How do you get out? Right? And I found myself wondering about the preparation. And and we find ourselves thinking about that a lot around here, don't we? Right? Being prepared for things, power outage, fire, storm, whatever it happens to be, we find ourselves having to think about it. But preparation is everywhere in life, isn't it? It appears in all kinds of different things. Right? Uh, it comes like you have preparation and paying taxes, going on vacation, showing up at work, um, cooking a meal. All those things take preparation of some kind, even though you cannot prepare and sometimes come up with a product in the end of it. It's almost always made better, though, by preparation, isn't it? It makes all the difference in life, being prepared for things versus doing them spur of the moment. And it's that theme which Jesus really taps into in Matthew. In our gospel passage for today, we are with Jesus and his disciples on the Mount of Olives. Um, I don't know why, every time I hear Mount of Olives, I think of on top of spaghetti. You know that famous song? And I don't know why, for some reason, those things are linked uh, in my mind. Sorry, that, I've just ruined your right reading of the scriptures forever now. Now, these two chapters that uh, we are in uh, are included, are are part of a section that's referred to as the Olivet Discourse, and that has nothing to do with little olives, uh, but it does have everything to do with the location, that it takes place on the Mount of Olives. Now, this course covers 
This discourse covers many things, but they can generally be grouped into three main categories. They are the delay, the return, and the judgment of the Messiah. Right, that's basically where everything kind of fits into. In our passage, we are near the middle of the discourse, and in the verses immediately preceding our section, Jesus gives what is called the lesson of the fig tree. And in that lesson, he says, look, you can tell by looking at a fig tree that summer is coming. Right? You can tell. And how can you tell? Budding and blossoming, right? Are you all figologists? I mean, is this what you studied in school? Are you a professional certified figologist? No, you're not, right? I mean, you just kind of pick this up in the world. You can notice things, right? For us in springtime, you can tell when spring is coming, right? We just know growing up in this world, we can observe the signs and can tell something is happening. Now, I couldn't tell you what day the first day of spring is on the calendar, you know, that, that regularly changing seasons. But I can tell you what it looks like when spring is coming. And that's what Jesus is tapping into here. The disciples, like looking at a fig tree, can tell when summer is coming. So too, Jesus was saying, the disciples should be able to look at what's happening around them in the world and see that God is bringing things into fulfillment, uh, the things that Jesus is telling them about. And then we trans transition into our passage, where Jesus speaks to his disciples about the challenge of not knowing what day the return of the Messiah will take place on. He begins, But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Now this is apparently in response to, Jesus, to the disciples' question back in verse 3 of our chapter. And they, what happens there, it says, when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they have the question, when will this be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus's answer is typically oblique. It's hard to tell exactly what he's saying here. At face value, this seems to stand in some contrast to the observational model described in the fig tree example, right? Because Jesus is saying, look, you can tell. And then he says here, no one knows. But I don't think they're actually contradictory. Um, I think the fig tree example informs the disciples of what to look for to know that the moment has arrived or is arriving. Well, the response here about no one knows the time is responding to the disciples' question of tell us what date it will take place in the future. Now, if we apply this in our world, perhaps it'll make a little more sense, right? You and I, we can all identify when spring is coming generally, right? You look, you see the signs, you can tell, birds are moving around, plants are starting to pop up out of the ground. You might not know the exact date it will take place, but you know it's happening. But if I was to ask you right now, can you tell me when the first day of spring will be, aside from the date on the calendar, which is our actual change of seasons, when will spring hit here? We don't really know, right? Nobody is sure about that. And I think that's the differentiation Jesus is making. Sure, we can all identify spring when it's coming, but none of us know the precise date. 
And so Jesus then talks about a great example of a moment in time that was expected by some and prepared for by some, but not by others. He gives the example of Noah and his wife, Joan of Arc. There we go. Okay, you guys caught it. I'm glad. Is Joan of Arc really Noah's wife? No, she's not. Not at all. Um, so this is an example of Noah and his family. Here's the scenario. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And how were those days of Noah? Well, they were wicked and were just going on like things that always gone on, right? People were doing the things they normally do. They were going to baseball games. They were planning for retirement. They were, you know, taking their kids to school. They were doing the normal things. The passage tells us, For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. Right? Things were going along just like normal, until Noah and his family got up inside this boat. And things were going on, even though there was a clear sign that something weird was happening. Right? And what was that sign that something weird was happening? A guy was building a giant boat in the desert. Right? That was the sign. Things were weird. Right? They should have been thinking, like, what should we do about this? This man is building a boat in the desert. And they watched him and just observed him and didn't build their own boats. Until the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. That's the description, right? It was a surprise to them. But it was not a surprise to Noah and his family because they were prepared. And this is important because, according to Jesus, it will be the same for those of us who are living on earth until he returns. He tells us, so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. So too. It'll be like those people just doing their normal stuff around Noah's Ark, and then suddenly the moment has arrived. His coming will be completely unexpected. He gives a couple other examples. Uh, then two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will, will be grinding meal together, one will be taken, one will be left. Right? This speaks of the unexpected nature of the event. And from the outside, the unpredictability of it. Right? It's just these two people, they go out to work, one of them, poof, gone, the other one's still there. Jesus is saying, this is unpredictable. <laughs> These people did not, obviously were not huddled in the basement afraid of what was coming. They were just going on with life as normal. And suddenly, life changed. Thus we are told to keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. This is not merely a challenge to keep looking forward to the return of Jesus, but in addition to keep awake to God's purposes here in this world. Not only to stay up ready for Jesus to return, but to be actively engaged in this world, carrying out the purposes of God, to remain focused on him and his call as evidenced in the Great Commission. Right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's what Jesus is talking about being engaged and alert. 
He then gives an illustration of a thief and a homeowner. He says, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Now, to be sure, Jesus is not a thief in the night who is going to come and steal all that you have. Right? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, this is going to be a really fun game. I'm going to come and take everything you have. Ha, ha, ha. He's also not saying that you should harden your house with better locks on the windows and doors because Jesus might sneak in like a thief. That's not what he's saying. Instead, he's speaking to his disciples about the unexpected nature of his return. He is coming at an unexpected hour, so they should be ready always. But being prepared is hard, isn't it? Being prepared is hard. It's essential. It's essential to be ready for what's ahead because you don't really know what's in our future. We keep getting reminded and reminded and reminded to be prepared for things, whether it's a power outage or a fire or a storm, to be prepared to have certain things on hand and to be ready. Are we always prepared? No. No, we're not. We're not. It happens to us every time. Like, oh my goodness, it actually happened. I wasn't ready. I thought I'd have more warning. It's hard to anticipate a change and to be ready for it. And sometimes that always being looking forward to whatever that thing that's going to happen, good or bad, can put us in a place where we are just full of anxiety, can't it? Being hypervigilant, always awake, always alert, always on guard. That's a really damaging place to live in some ways, too. And that's why the beauty of the Christian gospel is that the way that you and I become prepared for the return of the Messiah, the way that we are active in this is that we turn over control of our lives to Jesus. <laughs> we confess that we really can't prepare ourselves that we really can't remain alert and active forever. And the Holy Spirit comes and fills us, and he does the work of preparation, of preparing us for the coming of Jesus Christ. He is there causing the circumstances in our lives to function in certain ways, to lead us into deeper faith or deeper understanding or to the deeper understanding of our need for God. That's the work of the Spirit. And that is work which is happening really despite us at many times. Sure, it is true that we can participate in this. We can encourage that work by endeavoring to study and to pray and to encourage and to seek deeper relationship. But God is doing the work in us. God is doing the work of making us ready for his return. And this is not wasted work. Because if Jesus does not come back during our lifetime, we will be prepared in this work for, to meet him face to face in eternal life after our death, aren't we? Right? This is an important work to do regardless of whether Jesus comes back today, tomorrow, a hundred years, a thousand years from now. We need to be made ready because none of us know the hour at which we will see our Savior. And so, may we allow the Spirit to work in us, to prepare us, and to make us ready 
because we don't want that moment to find us unaware and unprepared. Therefore, with joy, let us anticipate the coming of our Savior. And may that joy change the way we live in this world as we serve him like faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for being the God of grace and mercy, the God who has set out a plan of salvation which is just beautiful and filled with love and mercy. In the same way, that plan does not depend upon us, Lord, but upon you. Lord, upon trusting in you and confessing our need for you. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help us. Help us to put our faith in you today and every day. May we put our trust in your work in our lives, and may we allow you to continue to do this good work. Lord, help us to invite others to join us in this um, transformed living. Lord, may you give us wonderful opportunities to share this good news with our family, our friends, and our neighbors, that they might also know the peace and the joy that it is to have our future held by you, Lord, and to be secure in your righteousness. Lord God, help us to be people who are gracious in this world, people who are humble, and people who live out faithfully this great commission. Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.